So, good morning, disciples of Jesus Christ. That's us. We are people on a journey, we're on a pathway of becoming more like Christ. It's not just a matter of being Christians, those who are saved, but Christ wants us to be disciples, followers, passionately following after Christ in every aspect of our lives. So this is our last month of our summer series on what makes a disciple. My heart and passion is that each week as the Lord downloads a truth to us that we would be that good soil. You know, we can throw seeds out all we want, but if it doesn't land in good soil, it just kind of dies there on the sidewalk. My heart and prayer is that we would prepare our hearts before the Lord and be good soil to receive the truth from his word. And so some of the quick, quick review of the summer. A disciple embraces the master's teaching as truth and obeys. We do not stand in judgment over the word of God and decide which parts we like. We don't say, well, we like this, but we don't. This stands as authority over our lives. And as we read the word, as we hear the word of God proclaimed, we say, Lord, help me. Lord, may your authority and the truth of your word be seen in my life. And we have that heart that when God speaks to us by his spirit, we say, yes, Lord. We have that heart to say, you speak, and when I understand that to be you, my heart is to obey what you speak to my heart. We spoke about a disciple has no money. By that, we don't mean that we're all poor. What we mean is that all of our money, all of our resources, everything we have, our home, our cars, our investments, it is all under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are stewards of his resources. So that changes our whole perspective of how we look at our resources, of what part will I give to God from my resources. That's not the attitude of a disciple. A disciple is, it's all God's. Even my wife and my children, they are not my children, not my wife. They all belong to the Lord. Everything. Disciples. And as a result, we expand, our goal is to expand the kingdom of God, to carry on his purposes here on this earth with the resources, the time, the things that he gives and entrusts to us as his stewards. A disciple's a servant. They aren't looking for the limelight. They aren't looking to have their name in lights. They aren't looking to be in front of everything because they want the glory to them. The glory always goes to the Lord. I love our worship team. Their prayer each and every morning, may they be a mirror and a reflection that as people look towards the front and worship, that they would see Jesus, that their eyes would be turned in worship to our King. So our, a disciple is a servant, and he realizes that the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all, and that when we serve people, be it the least of these, that really we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When that team went to Dominican Republic and they built that home for that pastor, they're building that for Jesus. When they care for those kids, those kids are Jesus. And they, when they hold those little children, 
They're loving them in the love of Jesus. Jesus cares about the least of these and he calls us to serve. A disciple knows how to fight. We are in a war. My gosh, we last couple days have been brutal in America. Now I'm not talking about that kind of war per se. But I'm saying that we know how to fight for victory. That God has victory for us. And so we know when there's time to run away from temptation. Sometimes the best fight is to run away. Sometimes we call in for our brothers and our sisters. We call in for people. We say we're a part of a family and we don't do well alone. We need each other. As problematic as we can be, we need each other and we're part of the body of Christ. And we realize that to win, we need to have a team with us. We pray in the Spirit. God's given us a powerful tool of praying in the Spirit so the Spirit can intercede through us. And we use that as one of the weapons of our warfare. We know how to rebuke the devil when things are going bad. We realize our our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And there are times where we come and stand strong against the devil and his attacks against us. A disciple knows how to worship, even in the middle of pain. How to say, things may be difficult, but we're going to worship and do battle through worshiping. I know enough stories of you out here. I know there are people sitting out here this morning who are in pain. People who are struggling. And I say one of the best powerful ways to fight is to say, I will worship today. Not when it's all good, but right now as a part of the way that we fight for victory. A disciple knows the word of God and uses terms like, it is written. So when fear comes upon you and you feel that fear gripping your soul, you say, it is written. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. We declare the word. When you're tempted in lustful situations, you may say, I will not set before my eyes any unclean thing in Jesus' name. You declare the word of God, and that's how we fight and win. And as a result, our lives are counterculture. More and more, our lives will look different than the culture around us. People will see Jesus in us and say, you know, there's something different about you. Maybe even strange about you. What's that smile about? Don't you know how bad things are? And people will ask us, and the scripture in 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So gently, respectfully, when someone says, what is it with you anyway? What's your answer there? Oh, well, it's pretty weather here in Minnesota. Or do you say something like, well, are you really asking? And they say, well, yeah, yeah, I really, I mean, there's something different about you. What is it? And maybe you say something like, well, you know, I wasn't always like this, but then I encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came and filled me with hope and love. And that's available to you, too. And you give an answer for the hope that's within you. We have to be ready to give an answer. And that's my quick review that brings us up to today.
And today, the truth I want you to go home with is a very basic truth. And the truth is, a disciple of Christ loves people. Say that with me. A disciple of Christ loves people. So many scriptures. Ephesians 5.2. Live a life of love. It's a commandment. You are called as disciples to live a life of love. Just pray as I get started here. Jesus, I pray that you would make us, oh God, by your spirit, impart to us your love that we in turn could be lovers of God and lovers of people. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He's trying to bring it home. See, Jesus was reclining at the Passover dinner. This was a major event in the life of Jesus. He's there with his disciples. They had just celebrated their first communion. Imagine the, just the intensity of the moment of having Jesus himself gathered with his disciples. And he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my this cup is poured out for you as a new covenant in my blood. The intensity must have been incredible taking that first communion supper together with our Lord Jesus Christ. Very sobering, very intimate time. And then Jesus the Master washes their feet. That was so, talk about um, anti-cultural or countercultural, the master, the boss, the, the Messiah, as they come to know him to be, then is washing their feet. And there must have been just incredible emotions in his disciples. And Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an apex, was coming to an end. And he also knew that he was about to turn the kingdom over to these, this motley crew of disciples these misfits, these people that they were not perfected yet. And even says to them in, Matthew 4, in Mark 14, 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. We talk a lot about Peter denying Christ. But Jesus looked at all of them and said, you will all fall away. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus is giving over the kingdom to these people that he knows are weak. He knows they're fickle. He knows they're frail. Anybody feel like that sometimes? You ever, I've, I've sometimes when God has entrusted me with parts of his kingdom, I kind of go, really? Isn't there a better plan out there? Someone that could do this better, more trained, more prepared? It's like the Lord says, no, I'm I got you for this job. And the good part of that is it makes us fall on our face before Christ and say, God, help me. 
Lord, help me. If you ever think I'm really fully able in my own strength to do this task, you're in trouble. We're only able to do what we do for the gospel, be it overseas or be it right here at home, because of the power of Christ and his spirit flowing through us. And so Jesus looks at these disciples who are, he knows will be failing, and he's entrusting the kingdom to them. And to me, what that says, the beautiful message there is that failure is not final. Do I hear an amen? amen. Failure, your failure, your sin, your shortcomings, praise God, it is not final. It says that failure is not fatal, that there is a redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ, and there's a redeemer that takes anywhere you fall short, and he can take that and pick that up and redeem that and use you in great ways. Jesus says, you will all fall away, but then he knew that even, maybe even part of their, re I hate to say this, I don't know, but maybe even part of what prepared them for following God was the fact that they knew that they had failed and that he had redeemed them and that how desperately they needed to rely on him to do the work that he called them to do. God's grace is sufficient. So he's, he's walking this all through, and then he, he, I can see Jesus kind of leaning in. He's going to continue to teach. It's a great teaching. He goes through different points, and he kind of calls them all in close. And I can see this intimate moment and possibly even whispers to his disciples. They're, they're, they're ready for this great download of truth. And Jesus says to them, love one another. And I think some of the disciples might have kind of yawned. Yeah, I, we, 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 we've heard that before. That's it, huh? I mean, it's kind of like a mother talking to her boys. Now, boys, quit fighting. Get along. And those words just go, whoosh. It's like, blah, nah, nah, nah. You know, someone's talking back there. They don't hear it. Love one another. And these disciples had heard this for years. I, I could kind of hear one prophetically singing, all we need is love. Just thinking, yeah, right. You know, I mean, love, love. It's all we need. It's like, and maybe some of them were thinking, you know, really, can't you give us some super celestial, secretive keys to the kingdom, something that will give us power over all the demons? Can't you give us some special handshake or some code or something? And Jesus says, no, we've got to go back to the core here. Love one another. If you are my disciples, you have love for one another. You know, even preparing this sermon, part of me felt like, well, this is so simple, so basic, maybe we should preach something else. I just heard the Lord saying, no, if we really knew how to love one another, we transform the world. 
The truth is fairly basic. It's very basic. So why do we struggle so much with carrying it out? Why do we struggle so much with loving our neighbor, with loving our spouse, with loving our brothers, our sisters, our children? Why is it such a battle for us? Tertullian was a prolific Christian writer and theologian in the third century. He wrote a lot about the suffering and the persecution of early Christians. We know a lot about the early church through his writings. And I read a quote of his. He says, the very heathens would say when they saw Christians pass along the street and meet and express their affection to each other, the heathens would say, see how they love one another. He says, would to God the same were observable now. The distinguishing badge and character of a disciple of Christ is not the outward garb, nor any austerities of life by which the disciples of John and the Pharisees were known, nor were the ordinary or extraordinary gifts of the Spirit bestowed upon the disciples of Christ that distinguished them as such, since those were not truly his disciples had bestowed on them, meaning that other disciples also had some of the gifts of the Spirit bestowed on them. But Tertullian finishes here by saying, but to love one another, brotherly love was the distinguishing characteristic. What kind of love is this? What does this love look like? John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Lay down his life. You ever thought about that? Would you be willing to lay down your life for someone? Who would you be willing to lay down your life for? If I opened my heart, I said, I would, there are people, I could make a list of those that I'd take a bullet for. But the list really isn't that long. I don't know that I'd be willing to take a bullet for everybody. I know I'd take a bullet for my family members. But really taking the bullet, you know, the guy comes in and you have to choose to protect or die. Or I pray I'd have that strength to do that in that moment. But really, that laying down your life, the harder part is daily. The little thing. The preferring one another in the small daily things of life where you lay down your life by preferring those instead of looking to your own needs. That's where the challenge really comes. Webster defines love first and foremost as an affectionate feeling towards someone. That's our definition today. I love that person because I feel good towards them. C.S. Lewis wrote in Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. There's a great risk in loving. C.S. Lewis says in God in the Dock, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. So you love 
someone when you want their best and you work towards their best. And man, you know, the greatest challenges are basically we're pretty selfish. Basically, we want our way. Basically, we think we're right and we want life to circle around us, even as Christians. It is a challenge when I wake up in the morning and I have my to-do list bigger than I can do. More things to get done, to be responsible and care for people. I have this list and then something interrupts my life. How many of you love interruptions? You got your plan, you're going here and it's interrupted. There's a phone call, there's a need, there's something that messes with your schedule, your plans. And how do we, do, how do we wrestle with those things as those called to love others? You know, in the English language, we have one word for love, love. But it means so many different things. You could say, I love God with all my heart. Or, I love that woman. Or, hey, I love you, man. Or, you know, I love my boys. Or, I love those new shoes you're wearing. We keep using the word love, but it means so many different things. The Bible has four, and you may know these just real quickly. The Bible has four different words it uses for love. One is eros, which is a word erotic love comes. It's a passionate love. It's a sexual love. It's a sensual love. There's a, it's a very physical love. And may I just say, it is not an evil love. It is a godly eros love. It can be perverted, it can be misused, it can be very selfish, but it is, in its purest form, it is one of God's forms of love that he's given to us. Philos love is a, is a friendship love. It's where the word, we have the word um, philanthropy comes. It's a kindness to your fellow man, a friendship, which I would say I love the men of this church. A lot of wonderful men here, and they're my brothers in Christ, and I need them in my life. That's a phylos kind of love. There's a storage love, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storage love, which is a family love. Uh, I spent some time with my granddaughter, Emma. We got that picture up here. It's my little Emma. And I would say that the love I have for her is a storage love. This is my Little granddaughter, she's a Norell, she's in the inner circle. She's sweet, she giggles, she tries to talk. She's won our hearts. There's a family kind of love that I have for her. And then there's agape love. When we love with this kind of love, we are seeking to give of ourselves. It's not a seeking of your own best, but the seeking of someone else's best over yourself. It's what we see when we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. With great sacrifice, God agaped us. He gave for your benefit. It's a love that puts your needs, your wishes over my desires and my comfort. It's an unconditional love, and that's what Christ calls us to, to agape one another. And 
I don't know about you, that does not come naturally. It does not come naturally for me to say your needs, your agenda, your priorities over mine. And that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need the Lord to come and say, Lord, come and work in me. Charles Stanley says, since we're God's children, we must walk in his unconditional love. Love's more than just words, it requires action. God's unconditional love should characterize our lives. You know, the Bible talks about love 686 times. That makes it a pretty powerful message of the scriptures. So some very quickly, just a few of the highlight scriptures. There's no fear in love. There's a whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Mark says, love your neighbor as yourself. His banner over me is love. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Let all that you do be done in love. And we love because he first loved us. God calls us to be a people of love. I'd like to end with a couple stories here to try to illustrate where, I, where we've seen love. I want to give you an email that I got. I read this with, um, I was asked to read this, read this with permission. Um, and here's a story of a love of a couple in our church. So I'd like to share my love story. My wife is definitely a disciple of Jesus Christ who loves others, especially me. The love she's shown me during the darkest times in our marriage when she found out I had an affair is truly remarkable and a gift from God. She's shown me love through reconciliation just as we have with our Savior. When the rest of the world and society would say to leave and get a divorce, which would be biblically acceptable, she chose to show me love instead. She chose to trust God and believe that God could heal our marriage and work in and through us. She is quite an amazing woman. Ours is a love story of betrayal, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, and ultimately Christ's love for his children. Powerful love. Second story, I'd like Linda Bellich to come on up, share another story with me, and I thought better to have her share it directly with you. A uh, very dark situation in their life where they received and encountered the love of Christ. Linda. So about 10 years ago, um, my husband was starting a fire uh, in our wood stove and the head of the match broke off and it flew through the air and he didn't see where it went. And so he, he lit another match and he um, started the fire in the wood stove and came back 15 minutes later to see how it was doing, um, only to find that the entire room was filled uh, chest high with flames. So. We called the fire department, which is a volunteer fire department. We were way out in the country. It took quite a while for them to come, and when they did come, they really didn't know how to put the water on the fire. And so it took 45 minutes 
to get any kind of water on the fire at all. And by that time, things were just really getting out of control. A friend from ours from church had heard um, what was happening with us on the scanner, and he picked up our pastor, and they came over, and they parked on the road. And we went and sat in the car with him, and we watched our house burn down. And they called in four other fire departments, which were from various townships and towns nearby, but there wasn't really anything they could do. And when I saw all of the orange flames and the cloud, the billows of smoke and everything billowing out of the attic above the second story, I knew that, that the house was lost. So we went over to our pastor's house that night. Some of us stayed there and some stayed with relatives. And in the morning we came back and it was just total devastation. Part of our house had collapsed into the basement and all the stairways had collapsed and there was just total um, smoke damage, heavy smoke damage everywhere. And immediately people started coming over and giving us different things. Um, our friend came over and said he'd be in charge of all of the ways um, to assist us and coordinate things. Somebody dropped off money and generator and somebody else came over and took our dog so it could be boarded. It was very, very overwhelming. It was the middle of January. It was the dead of winter. It was really, really cold. And ice was everywhere from all the water from, from the fire and we didn't have any electricity or heat and we were trying desperately to somehow save the basement from cracking because that was the only thing that we could save out of our house basically. And that happened on a Friday night and I went back to work. I worked at the high school. I went back on Monday and when I got there, everybody knew because it's a very small town and the staff were trying to figure out what to do and so they met and a letter went out to every single student in the entire district, high school and elementary level, talking about what had happened to us and, and saying how they could help. And they started in immediately with the different fundraisers and it, it went throughout both of the schools. Even the kindergartners were collecting pennies for us. And, and at school, it was just constant. People would bring things to my room. They'd drop off money and, and gift cards and household goods and things like that. And in the meantime, my husband worked as a manager at a college in Duluth, and the same thing was going on there. They had a tremendous amount of, of um, money collection going on. and. The college itself gave us beds and mattresses and, and desks, so we had those kind of things. In the meantime, it was the Winterfest pancake breakfast coming up for the midwinter celebration in our town, and they made that into a fundraiser for us. Our church did a, a shower for us, and the regional special ed co-op that I'm associated with also did a shower for us. Another church gave us a whole bunch of handmade quilts that they had made. People throughout the community and in our church were providing meals to us. A pastor in North Dakota sent me a Bible. Um, my husband got Bibles. People gave us free haircuts. It was just crazy, unbelievable how much people gave to us. Um, we live in really an economically deprived area, and I saw many, many people giving sacrificially that were at like at a poverty level, so it was very, very humbling. When the house was scheduled to be torn down, people from our church came and helped us get the few things out of the attic that we could save, and they shoveled out our basement for us. And looking back, I'm just very, very humbled by everything that everybody did and, and the love they showed. It was, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, but I'll never forget 
how wonderful everyone was and the love that they showed, um, even though we lost like 90% of everything we own. And the last thing I wanted to share, um, that meant even so much more than, than the tremendous amount of money and everything else that we got. Um, some of you know our son-in-law, he goes to church here. Um, at the time of the fire, he was living with us, but he wasn't yet our son-in-law, and he was going to college. And after the fire was over, he called his dad over in Slovakia and Europe, and he told him what was happening. And his dad told him that he had been praying in the spirit for four hours. He felt totally compelled to do this. It never happened to him before. And when he found out uh, what had happened to us, he knew why. And so I thought it was so cool that the Lord knows, knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And we'll even tell people on the other side of the earth to be praying for us and helping us. Tremendous outpouring of agape love for a family in a time of great need. Um, my last story I just want to share from something that uh, last week, you know that Janet and I had a chance to travel to Colorado. We had two different family reunions back to back out there in Colorado Springs. Um, my family, the Neural family, gathered up in, in the mountains at a cabin with um, my three boys just to get us in the same country at one time is difficult. To get us under the same roof was miraculous and wonderful to be together. And then from there we went to Janet's mother's side family reunion. About I think about 60 of us together. And the interesting thing that happened, or one of the most powerful things, is we've been planning this reunion for Janet's family for over a year in Colorado Springs. Could be it's been all over the country at different years. And the family, the relatives that live in Colorado Springs, um, the woman who is Janet's cousin, about 55 years old, lovely Christian girl, five children, she um, developed breast cancer and it was winning the battle against her. And her life, they'd put her on the hospice and we weren't sure if she was gonna be alive when the reunion came. So the date of the reunion, the place of the reunion, was unrelated to her sickness from our perspective. And so the Saturday of the reunion, all the family was there together. A friend of hers decided to have a celebration of life for her while she was alive. And so it was like having going to her funeral except that she was in the front row. And so people got up, and here's her five kids. Um, you know, looking at these ten, this 10-year-old girl, this 13-year-old girl, hearing everybody say goodbye to mom. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. And then she took the microphone. Imagine speaking at your funeral. Um, and she almost didn't make it to this, but she was determined to make it to her own celebration and her words marked me she you know she has a hard time breathing and she's in her wheelchair and she said the other day I ate a bowl of chocolate ice cream she said as I was scraping out the bottom of the bowl of chocolate ice cream I said to my friend 
There's never enough chocolate ice cream, is there? Thought kind of an interesting way to start off your message. And she said, that's how I'm feeling today. Life has been very, very good to me. God has blessed me and I've enjoyed my life, but there's just, today I'm feeling like there's not, there's just not enough days for me to do all that I want to do. She said, I, I just, I'm happy. I'm going on to glory. But I just wish I had a few more sunsets. A few more walks on the beach. A few more opportunities just to hold my kids. Tell them how precious they are. And then she thanked everybody for making her life very special. And that was Saturday afternoon, and she died on Monday. And I, that message dropped into my heart, and I wanted to impart that, drop that into your hearts, and just say, life is about loving people. She didn't say, oh, I wish I had more money, or I wish I'd lived in a bigger house, or I wish my car, you know, all the things, that they do matter to us. They really do, but they don't really matter when your day comes down. I thought, how different would it be to you today if you knew that you had a couple days left of life? If this was your last time of being in church and you knew that you'd be in glory by next week, like she did. I mean, to, to, to listen to a message from her realizing that she knew that she was not going to live more than another couple days. I thought, wow, how different would my life look? And I want to guard a little bit of that perspective and just say, don't wait to love somebody. Don't wait to make something right. Don't wait to someday you'll make that phone call, let's be a people of love. People that when God puts it in your heart, he, you obey. When God puts it in your heart, you go hug somebody, you go love somebody. Because a true disciple of Christ is one that loves people. And in I don't do this much, um, but I felt the Lord, I'm going to just take a little risk here. Um, I'm sorry, I, if I, I really don't do this. There's a brother over here in a dark shirt with a beard. Can you raise your hand for a second? That's you, yeah. What's your name? Chris. I just felt as I was sitting over here, the Lord speak to me and say, let that guy know how deeply God loves him. And that he sees exactly what you're walking through. He knows it and he's very close to you. He sees you and he's with you. And I have no idea what that's speaking to because I don't know you at all. But um, I want to be obedient to the Lord speak, putting that in my heart. Amen? Amen. May we be people who love each other. Jesus, I pray that, God, you would put a depth of love that we don't have in our hearts for each other. And that when neighbors look at us, when people see us, when family members see our lives, that, Father, 
they would see the love of God flowing through us. And they would say, that's not natural, because it would not be. It would be from you. God, fill us so much with your love that, God, it would flow out to those around us. I guess I want to leave you with a challenge. I want to continue to pray. But the challenge that you just say, if you're saying, I don't have that love, that you would pray with me and say, Jesus, I ask that you would give me your eyes for those around me that you would help me love others, each individual other, in the way that you love them, that you'd give me some of the taste of your spirit and your love for them. God, even when my love falls so far short, I pray, God, that you would give me your love for those around me. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Um, this Tuesday is, I believe it is National Night Out. You know, some neighborhood night out. What's it called? What's it called? National Night Out. National Night Out. I would challenge you to be a part of that. If you don't know your neighbors, go meet them. Get to know their names. Be a part. You don't have to go and preach on the corner. Just, just be a good neighbor. Go love some neighbors in the love of Jesus. Let them see the love of Christ in you. Let's be a part of spreading the love of God that's so desperately needed in this world today. And if you're our guest, I'd love to meet you out at the Welcome Center on the left-hand side going out the door. And if you 